is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. We are live. We're in studio. We're getting a little warmer in here than we were out there, so be careful out there. Let's start out with our weekly wrap-up for the week. We saw the stock market closed higher, which marks its 10th week of gains in 11 weeks. The S&P 500, which briefly traded above its all-time high close on Friday, recovered all of last week's losses, leaving the index up three-tenths of 1% for the year. Strength in mega-cap stocks had an outsized impact on index performance. The mega-cap growth ETF climbed 3.9%. The NASDAQ Composite logged a 3.1% gain. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 gained 1.8% this week versus a two-tenths of 1% gain in the S&P 500 equal weight uh, uh, ETF. The best-performing S&P 500 sectors all house mega-cap constituents. The information technology was up 4.9%, communication services up 3.4%, Consumer discretionary was up one and a half. Those are the sectors that saw the biggest gains on the week. Meanwhile, the energy sector logged the steepest decline, down 2.4%. The financial sector was another underperformer, closing down a half a percent for the week. On a related note, the fourth quarter earnings reported period started on Friday and included results from the Bank of America and Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Citigroup. Dow component United Healthcare and Delta Airlines were also among the notable names that reported earnings. Overall, quarterly results were met with negative reactions and set a tepid tone as participants look ahead to upcoming earnings results. Also, microchip technology issued a fourth quarter review warning that it was tied to a weakening economic environment. In other corporate news, Boeing sank 12.6% this week after its 737 MAX jets were grounded in response to the fuselage blowout on that Alaska Airlines flight. This week's economic data painted a somewhat mixed picture. The Consumer Price Index was de- for report for December was slightly hotter than the market's hopeful expectations. Weekly initial jobless claims remained below uh, recession-like levels. Meanwhile, the producer price index was cooler than expected. Market participants recalibrated rate cut expectations despite the generally mixed economic data, suggesting the market doesn't believe that inflation is likely to reaccelerate. The Fed Fund's futures markets see a 79.4% probability of a 25 basis point cut at the March FOMC meeting versus a 68.1% probability a week ago. The price action in the Treasury market reflected this recalibration. The two-year yield, which is most sensitive to changes in the Fed funds rate, sank 24 basis points to 4.15%. The 10-year note yield fell 9 basis points this week to 3.95%. In other news, geopolitical angst was peaked after the United States and the United Kingdom conducted strikes against military targets in the Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen. Here are some truncated summaries for the week action this week saw. On Monday, it was a good day for the stock market. The major indices all rallied following last week's losses, which saw the market break its nine-week win streak. The S&P 500 logged a 1.4% gain. The Russell 1000 was up 1.9%, and the NASDAQ Composite jumped 2.2%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was a relative underperformer, logging in at only a six-tenths of 1% gain, Due to a loss in Boeing after its 737 MAX uh, was grounded, and uh, gains were relatively broad-based, but mega-cap stocks had an outsized impact on index performance. The rebound action was supported by a drop in market rates, although Treasuries settled off their highs of the day. The price action in the Treasuries was helped by reduced inflation expectations across all all horizons seen in the New York Fed's December survey of consumer expectations, a drop in crude oil prices to $70.82 a barrel. After that followed a Bloomberg reporting indicating that Saudi Arabia is aiming at cutting its crude prices for February in all regions because of weak demand. 
Monday's economic data was limited to the consumer uh, credit report, which increased $23.7 billion in November, following an upward revised $5.8 billion front in October. The key takeaway from the report is the revolving credit account accounted for the bulk of the November increase, uh, showing it perhaps that consumers are leaning more on credit to maintain both discretionary and non-discretionary spending activity. Tuesday's trade had a negative bias. The advanced decline favored decliners by a 7-3 margin at the New York Stock Exchange and nearly a 2-1 margin on the NASDAQ. The major indices were able to close off their lows of the day, though, thanks to support from mega-cap stocks that recovered from early weakness. The overall negative vibe was partially a reaction to the fourth quarter warning from microchip technology, which was tied to a weakening economic environment. In, rea- in related action, Samsung Electronics said it expects its fourth quarter operating profits to be down 35% year over year, and that is below analyst expectations. So reviewing Tuesday's economic data, we saw that the November trade balance came in at trade trade balance came in at minus sixty three point two billion. The key takeaway from this report is that exports were four point four billion four point eight billion less than October exports, while imports were six point one billion less than October. The drop in both import exports and imports fits with the weakening global economic environment. December's NFIB Small Business Optimism uh, Index was at 91.9. A month ago, it was at 90.6. And on Wednesday, we saw the three major indices close near their highs of the day. The S&P 500 logged in a six-tenths of 1% gain, turned positive from the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average saw up. That was a half percent gain. NASDAQ Composite registered its eight-tenths of 1% gain. Mega-cap stocks boosted index uh, level gains. The uh, mega cap growth ETF was up 1.2%. Apple, which had been down as much as seven tenths of 1%, managed to close with a gain despite another analyst downgrade from Redbird Atlantic, which cut its view to neutral from buy. It was a general lack of conviction from either buyers or sellers in the market as a whole. Declining issues held a slim lead over advancing issues at the NASDAQ, while advancers led decliners by five to four margin. The equal-weighted S&P 500 logged a two-tenths of 1% gain. There was muted action under the surface was due to a wait-and-see mindset ahead of the results of the $37 billion 10-year note auction, an afternoon speech by New York Fed President Williams, who is an FOMC voter on the economic outlook, and Thursday's release of the December Consumer Price Index and earnings reports out of the banking industry before Friday's open. The 10-year note reopening was met with decent demand, but the market was more responsive to the remarks by Williams, who said in a speech that he thinks the Fed will need to maintain a restrictive policy stance for some time. So reviewing Wednesday's economic data, we saw that the weekly MBA Mortgage Applications Index was up 9.9%. That was a 9.9% increase. A week ago, they were down 94 November's wholesale inventories also dropped two-tenths of 1%. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here in KGMI. We'll be back in a moment. Mornings are busy. That's why the KGMI Morning News is your perfect ticket to the world. While you rush to get ready, hear the very latest local, state, and national news. Your KGMI AccuWeather forecast, sports with Mark Skolton, the latest money news, and all the information you need for a great start to your day. The KGMI Morning News, 6 to 9 a.m. each weekday on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. We all have our go-tos, right? The doctor you trust, the dentist you rely on, the restaurant you love. What makes them your go-to? It's trust, isn't it? Hi, this is Dan from Bellingham Automotive, your go-to for auto repairs in Whatcom County since 1991. Whether you're using your car for ride-sharing, delivery services, mobile office, maybe just a taxi for your kids and their friends, or it's just personal transportation, we're here to keep you on the road. We're proud to have a team of technicians and service advisors who have been with us for years. They can help you find that strange noise or figure out what that warning light is trying to tell you. They can perform regular maintenance to keep your car up to date and your new car warranty intact. We know you're busy, so we also offer a local shuttle service and an after-hour drop-off and pickup options to help take the hassle out of your auto repair. So if you don't have a trusted go-to for your vehicles... 
please give us a call at 360-676-5200 or visit bellinghamautomotive.com to schedule an appointment. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI Traffic Alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. I want to thank you for being with us. Keep yourself warm. A little nippy out there still. Hopefully it'll warm up one of these days. Kind of nice when it does. A couple programming notes. One, uh, next uh, Saturday program, uh, I will be joined uh, at this start of this uh, second segment with uh, Patrick Connor. Patrick is the uh, state uh, director for the National Federation of Independent Business. Had Patrick on for the last three or four years um, during the legislative session, and he'll be talking about uh, a number of pieces of legislation that are that are before the legislature before different committees, et cetera, that could have an impact, especially on small business. So we're looking forward to welcoming Patrick back to our show again next Saturday. And also, we're Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway. That's old Highway 99 for those who have been around for a while, including myself. But uh, north of the Slater Road on the right, out there in the Pacific Commerce Center next to Wilson's Furniture, Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248, phone number 360-733-1200, and check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. Okay, going to go ahead and finish here with Thursday and Friday's economic uh, market summaries. We found that Thursday's trade featured a negative bias throughout most of the session, despite an initial move higher. They saw the S&P 500 run into resistance at its all-time high close of 4796.56. Decliners led advances by nearly a 2-to-1 margin at the New York Stock Exchange and by a 4-to-3 margin at the NASDAQ. Market participants were digesting a consumer price index report for December that was slightly hotter than the market's hopeful expectations. Total CPI increased 3.4% year-over-year, up from 3.1% in November when the core reading decelerated slightly to 3.9% from 4%. Also, weekly initial jobless claims remain below recession-like levels at 202,000, which is down from 203,000 in the prior week. The market rates cut, market rate cuts expectations ultimately strengthened, despite data that isn't likely to persuade the Fed to cut rates as much as the market hopes, and despite Cleveland President Masters' who is an FOMC voter, saying on Bloomberg TV that March is probably too early for a rate cut. Treasury settled without gains, but buying really picked up in response to a strong $21 billion 30-year bond uh, reopening after Thursday's morning's uh, uh, data. Reviewing Thursday's economic data, we saw the consumer price index was up three-tenths of 1%. The December core CPI was up three-tenths of 1% as well. So the key takeaway from this report is inflation, while improved, has lost some of its downward momentum. Therefore, the Fed isn't likely to be in a rush to cut interest rates, at least not yet, based on the latest CPI reading. We also saw weekly initial jobless claims come in at 202,000. The prior was was revised to 203,000 from 220,000. And weekly continued claims continued at 1.834 million. The key takeaway from the report is recognition that employers in general are still reluctant to cut employees from payrolls. This is a positive consideration as it relates to the outlook for labor and the economy, which means it may not be a positive consideration as it relates to the market's outlook for rate cuts. On Friday, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ composite closed a little change from Thursday 
with the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the Russell 2000 declining three-tenths of one percent and two-tenths of one percent, respectively. The muted finish followed a soft start in the fourth quarter earnings report period, which set a tepid tone as participants look ahead of up for up to upcoming earnings results. Dow Component United Healthcare, Del- Delta Airlines, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo were the losing standard standouts in that respect. Buyers were hesitant after the relatively soft start of the earnings season, due in part to the fact that the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average are trading near their all-time highs. The S&P 500 traded above its all-time high closed shortly after the open, reaching 4,802. But that initial push higher was partially a reaction to cooler-than-expected producer price index report for December, which ultimately impacted price action in the treasury market more than the stock market. The pleasing PPI report also had participants recalibrating their rate cut expectations. Notably, rate cut expectations also increased, despite a December consumer price index report that wasn't exactly what the market hoped to see, suggesting the market doesn't believe that inflation inflation is likely to reaccelerate. So reviewing Friday's economic data, we saw the PPI December was down a tenth of 1%, and the core PPI was flat. The key takeaway from this report is that inflation at the wholesale level has been brought under control, while deflation appearing in, in several components and is expected to translate into friendlier inflation readings for the PCE price index than the Fed, that is the Fed's preferred inflation gauge. So year-to-date, you through yesterday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is now down about three-tenths of 1%. The NASDAQ is also down about three-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 is actually up three-tenths of 1%. And the Russell 2000 Index is down 2.8% year-to-date. You know, this week, we take a look at uh, different things, take a deeper look. We're going to take a look at the employment landscape in the United States. You know, every month, usually on the first Friday, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reports its job data. This data can, comes from two surveys of establishments and households. Using a representative sample of 122,000 entities, that's private and public, the establishment survey is best known for providing monthly change in non-farm payroll employment. Beyond this, it also captures data on earnings and hours worked. Alternatively, the household survey samples roughly 60,000 eligible U.S. households. It is best known for measuring the national unemployment rate, but also looks at the labor force and employment and demographic detail. Much can be gleaned from both reports. Over time, the employment components tend to track each other closely. The employment sector has undergone a tumultuous journey over the last four years and recently... (coughs) Recently, the trajectory of job gains has experienced a gradual deceleration over the past year, prompting speculation about the future. To offer deeper insights, we'll start out, let's look at non-farm payrolls since February of 2020. During the COVID-19 shutdowns in March and April of 20, the establishment survey showed a loss of 21.9 million jobs. Since the bottom in April of 2020, payrolls have rebounded by 26.8 million. That resulted in a net increase of 4.9 million jobs since February of 2020. While the overall job market has shown improvement, three sectors, other services, mining and logging, and leisure hospitality have yet to recover. During this period, professional and business services, as well as education and health services, have emerged as standout performance, accounting for 2.8 million and 4.9 million net job gains. On the surfaces, these look like big numbers but monthly gains have averaged just 106,000 since February of 2020. Let's look at net revisions to payrolls this year in 2023. Within the Employment Situation Report every month, the Establishment Survey provides a current estimate of the monthly change in non-farm payrolls, along with revisions for for the prior months. So in 23, from January to November, which was the latest month for the revision, Downward revisions recurred, occurred in 10 of the 11 months. That's a trend observed only a few times in history, notably in 2008 and 2009. Non-farm payrolls experienced downward revisions totaling 427,000 jobs. 
We view this as a sign that the labor market is weakening. However, it may not persist. And then also, let's take a look at part-time versus full-time jobs. Another sign of potential weakness is that the household survey shows that over the last year, January through December, part-time job growth of 1,082,000 has outpaced full-time job growth of 774,000. Historically, a sustained period of such, tr- such a trend has often signaled an impending recession or indicated that we are already in one. So it'll be interesting to continue to keep an eye on those jobs numbers as we move ahead. Dick Downey here with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here on KGMI. We'll be back after a quick break, a little news, and we'll see you in a minute. Some days I cover up because of my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. Now I'm hitting the road with clearer skin thanks to Sky Rizzi. Rizm Kism of Rizza, a prescription only 150 milligram injection for adults who are candidates for systemic or phototherapy. With Sky Rizzi, three out of four people achieved 90% clearer skin at four months. And Sky Rizzi is just four doses a year after two starter doses. Don't use if allergic to SkyRizzy. Serious allergic reactions and an increased risk of infections or a lower ability to fight them may occur. Before treatment, your doctor should check for infection and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms, such as fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, or if you plan to or recently received a vaccine. Thanks to SkyRizzy, there's nothing on my skin, and that means everything. your doctor today about Sky Rizzy, the number one dermatologist prescribed biologic in psoriasis. And visit SkyRizzy.com or call 1-866-SKY-RIZZY to learn more. And now another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. That doesn't sound good. Paper shredder's jammed, but I think I fixed it. Oh, well, try shredding these $50 bills then. Seems like it's working. Mm, better try another 400 bucks. Stop. Instead of using money, use regular paper. And here's a better tip from Progressive on how not to waste money. Don't pay too much for car insurance. Drivers who switch and save could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Potential savings will vary. Not available in all states. Wireless headphones. That'll be $200. I'll use my Capital One Quicksilver card. Now that's a hit. You used the Capital One Quicksilver card, which makes you the hero of every purchase. With Quicksilver, you earn unlimited 1.5% cash back on every purchase everywhere. I wanted running music, but unlimited 1.5% cash back is pretty heroic. Good instincts. Every hero needs a theme song. The Capital One Quicksilver card. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. There's a lot going on right now, and broadcasters are on the ground covering all of it, bringing you the weather, the traffic, and breaking news, all while entertaining you 24 hours a day. Someone needs to tell you what's going on around the world and in our hometowns, and that someone is us. We are free radio. We are always there. We are broadcasters. Visit wearebroadcasters.com or text radio to 52886 to learn more. Furnished by NAB and this station. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. No gimmicks, just the highest quality systems, 0% interest financing, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Rely on West Mechanical heating, air conditioning, and electrical. Contact them today at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. CBS News Brief. Heavy snow, freezing rain, and brutally cold temperatures are affecting millions in the nation. Zach Taylor is at the National Weather Service. We're in the midst of a wide-reaching, coast-to-coast, active winter weather pattern. Virtually every state under some sort of winter weather headline, ranging from blizzard warnings to winter storm warnings, as well as wind chill warnings and extreme cold. So several storm systems are impacting the United States, and that looks to continue at least through early next week. In Taiwan, Voters have handed an unprecedented third term to the Democratic Progressive Party. CBS's Lucy Kraft. The next president will be its current vice president, 64-year-old William Lai. Vilified by Beijing, Lai pledged to protect Taiwan from Chinese threats and intimidation. More escalation in the Middle East after a new U.S. strike against Iran-backed Houthi militants who are vowing a strong response. CBS News Brief. I'm Allison Keyes. And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died Who gave that right to me 
Welcome back to World Wake Up Live. Dick Donnie here with you. Thanks for being with us. Well, 2024 is going to be an interesting year. Presidential election, all kinds of political turmoil all over the world, battles, wars, interesting things. But you know, as we approach the 24 election, we think we need to look a little bit beyond the ballot. We find that investors are turning their attention to potential impacts on the market so that they can position their portfolio strategically. But what does history tell us about about investing based on politics? Well, if we go back to 1968, we're finding that investors would have paired poorly had they opted to invest alongside only certain political parties. Since 1968, when many people considered the beginning of the modern political party alignment, so-called partisan portfolios, which are invested in the S&P 500, only during either Republican or Democratic presidencies would have dramatically underperformed a buy-and-hold strategy. Historically, the best-performing portfolio has been the one that bought stocks and held them throughout the entire period of both Democratic and Republican administrations. A hypothetical investment of $10,000 in 68, irrespective of which party controlled the Oval Office, outperformed the partisan portfolios by nearly $2 million as of December of 23. To give you an example, if we had only invested in the markets, we had, if we had a $10,000 investment, and we only invested that money when Republicans were in the White House, we would have had about a $10,000, would have grown to about 100000 if we had invested it only when Democrats were in the White House, it would have grown to 250000 But if we had left it alone, again, it would have been over $2 million. So we rarely look back on stock market returns and attribute them to political parties. We even investors may benefit from the following view. Get out and vote at the polling booths, but don't vote with your portfolio. So a little FYI as we move into what looks like it's going to be a very tumultuous years we move along. Uh, I mentioned earlier, going to have uh, Patrick O'Connor on next week with us with again, uh, talking about um, what's going on in the legislature. But I saw this bulletin come out, and I thought it was kind of interesting. There's a bill before the state legislature, House Bill 1868, that's going to ban the sale of outdoor gas-powered equipment after January 1st of 2026, that is rated at 25 horsepower or less. The bill will drive up the cost of lawn maintenance equipment for everyone. The electric outdoor equipment has been has limited capacity power compared to gas power equivalent. Landscaping commercial companies would have to have a significant capital expenditure if they have to replace aging gas powered equipment. Landscape companies may need to lay off workers to offset the additional costs. The bill would create a sales tax exemption for electric yard equipment. The local government is exempt from during times of emergency, so they could still use their equipment. And a grant program would, re- would reimburse local governments for replacing their gas-powered equipment. Private citizens, however, are going to have to bear the full cost. So basically, 1868 is going to prohibit engine exhaust and evaporative emissions from new outdoor power equipment. The rules will apply to gas-powered equipment produced, uh, produced on or after January 1st of 26, rated at 25 horsepower or lower. The ban would include most outdoor yard equipment and many popular riding lawnmowers. The bill would exempt government agencies during an emergency, which I mentioned before. It also create a grant program to cover the costs of local governments in replacing their, their equipment. Private citizens, however, are going to have to bear the full cost. And they are going to be also private citizens would be subject to harsh penalties, including jail time or significant fine. There is a sales tax exemption that would be created for yard equipment funded by transferring funds from their climate commitment account. But retailers would be encouraged to add information stickers to gas-powered equipment and sales tax exemption on electric uh, equivalent equipment. So interesting to see where that one goes. It's only less than, what, two years away? You're not going to be able to buy a gas-powered piece of lawn equipment? Think about that one. You might want to run out there and get them if you want to need them. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about inflation. 
And we're seeing that uh, it's starting to temper the case for Fed cuts, that the accelerated in December as Americans paid more for housing and driving, challenging investor bets that the Federal Reserve is going to cut rates soon. The consumer price index by increased by 3.4% in a year through December, and the most of three months according to the government's figures. On a monthly basis, it also rose more than forecasts. The CPI, excluding food and energy, rose three-tenths of one percent in December from a month earlier. On an annual basis, the so-called core measure increased 3.9%. Economists favor the core metric as a better gauge of the trend in inflation than the overall CPI. The Bureau of Labor Statistics figures showed increases in shelter, electricity, and motor vehicle insurance. Used car prices increased for a second month, defying expectations of a decline. So despite the pickup, the figures cap a year in which inflation broadly eased without doing much damage in the labor market, setting the stage for the Fed to lower borrowing costs this year. Officials' latest economic projections show that they expect three cuts in 24, although policymakers have pushed back against market expectations, and the first reduction could come as soon as March, although that's becoming more questionable. Treasury yields on the dollar rose while stock index futures slid after the report. Fed officials next meet at the end of this month. Shelter prices, which make up about a third of the overall CPI index, contributed to more than half of its advance. That rose a half a percent in December. The gain included a rise in hotel prices, which are down in the prior month. Economists see this as a sustained moderation of this category as key to bringing core inflation down to the Fed's target. If you exclude housing and energy, service prices climbed four-tenths of one percent from November, easing slightly from the prior month, according to Bloomberg calculations. And while Fed Chair Jerome Powell and his colleagues have stressed the importance of looking at such a metric when assessing the nation's inflation trajectory, they compute it based on a separate index. So unlike services, a sustained decline in the price of goods has been providing some relief to consumers in recent months. So-called core good prices, which excludes food and energy commodities, were little changed after falling for six straight months. That defied all projections for another decline, largely because of the unexpected pickup in used car prices. Apparel prices also surprised with a small advance after falling sharply in November. We saw separate figures on Thursday that showed applications for unemployment insurance held at a historically low level this week, while the number of people receiving benefits fell to its lowest level since October. The Fed is looking for a more softer labor market conditions in order to rein in demand across the economy, especially after last week's mostly solid jobs report. A separate report on Thursday also showed real earnings advanced eight-tenths of one percent in December from a year earlier. That's extending a months-long streak in which wage growth has modestly outpaced inflation. Toward the end of the year, U.S. consumers grew more sanguine about the inflation outlook. Several metrics on their, <clears throat> of near-term expectations declining to their lowest level since early of 21. That helped lift measures consumer sentiment. However, it's been the same boon for Joe Biden. It hasn't been the same boom for Joe Biden. Despite the progress in easing price increases, inflation has dogged the Biden's presidency with his approval rating at similar levels today as it was when the overall CPI peaked above 9% in June of 22. Voters rank this issue, along with broader economy, a high importance in this year's election, but further softening in the jobs market could undercut political benefits of lower inflation. Looking ahead, inflation is expected to moderate further this year towards the Fed's 2% target, especially as housing costs are seen easing. However, other factors like rising shipping costs due to the attacks in the Red Sea, low water levels in the Panama Canal, do threaten to upend progress in goods inflation. With an escalation in the war in the Middle East, which could put upward pressure on oil prices, also cannot be ruled out. So we think we're going to continue to see some volatility as we move along. So something to keep an eye on, as always, as always. Um, <clears throat> big change taking place this year. Uh, for those that have 529 college plans, uh, there's another option that's starting out there, starting in 24 families. If you have a 529 college savings plan, the beneficiaries can roll that money now over into a Roth IRA. 
That can be done without triggering income taxes uh, or penalties. Um, the new year ushered in what we call a big change in 529 plans. It's made accounts more attractive for some investors, but the adjustments may also have some downsides. So starting this year, if you have unused 529 plans and an account's beneficiary, a Roth's individual account, after triggering, you can move it to a Roth without triggering penalties. Now, the 529 plan has to have been open for at least 15 years. This was part of the Secure 2.0 Act that put it more flexibility. But there are some caveats. We're still not 100% clear on all those caveats. We also see a downside in this 529 to Roth rollover is the conversion counts towards the annual IRA contribution. So that means that it could restrict the amount that you can put into a Roth IRA on your normal benefit. So the question is, are you reducing one and sliding it over to the other? Got to think about that one. The 2024 annual contribution limit is $7,000. If you're over age 50, it's an extra $1,000. There's a lifetime cap, however, on this 529 to Roth rollovers. You can roll over a total of $35,000 from 529 plans to Roths, which means it takes about five years doing that $7,000 limit. However, keep in mind, you cannot fund the Roth IRA if you have one at the same time. So, you know, uh, so if you roll over those five-year 529 plans, the beneficiary must have earned income or wages from a job in order to match the conversion, similar to regular Roth contributions. And generally, you know, it may be better keeping that money in a 529 plan than it is to contribute it to a Roth because you can also contribute to that Roth separately. So if you have that 529 plan, you convert it over to a Roth. What you're doing is you're using up your ability to be able to convert money or put new money into a Roth. So you may just want to consider do I want to keep that 529 plan? One of the biggest reasons for doing that is because of the ability on a 529 plan to go out there and change beneficiaries. And you cannot do that, of course, with the Roth IRA. You know, we're also going to suggest that you wait till later this year before you look at doing these conversions, just simply because, you know, there's still a lot of question marks out there about some of the IRS guidance that we have, and it's not really clear so it might be something to think about. There's another thing that we're unclear about, and that is if there was a beneficiary change on that 15-year waiting period. So if you had a 529 plan, you're able to change beneficiaries, but if you changed it within the last 15 years, we don't know if that's going to change the timeline of on that 15 years. So there's still some questions, but it is something to keep in mind, especially if you got money left over sitting out there in a 529 plan, some additional flexibility, something we'll keep track of, we'll keep talking about on the air. And uh, if you got questions for us, of course, you can always give us a call, 360-733-1200. Going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Cash in on nostalgia. Barron's historic payback program is back and bigger than ever. Heating, cooling, and more. Save on everything Barron installs. Get $100 towards your new purchase for each year of your equipment's age. That's right. The older the equipment, the more you'll save. So many things get better with age. Unfortunately, your HVAC system isn't one of them. Until now. During Barron's payback program, earn up to $6,000 when you upgrade to a high-efficiency heat pump. Spoiler alert, two lucky customers win free installations, including the customer with the oldest furnace. There's more. The first 10 customer installations snag a $500 Costco shop card. The next 40 get a $200 shop card. That's 50 happy folks. Good things come to those who wait, but don't wait too long. Call today. Barron's Payback Program is happening now through January 31st. Barron, your full-service HVAC electrical and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives. No purchase necessary. Visit BarronHeating.com for details. Dan Hicks with Paul A. Zinger, welcoming you back to the Healthy Stand Classic and Zing. She has been absolutely tremendous today, but it all comes down to this shot. It does, Dan, and you couldn't ask for better conditions. 68 degrees, just a slight two-mile-an-hour breeze and a UV index of three. This is absolutely critical. That is right. This direct exposure to midday sun could be increasing her risk to melanoma. It looks like she's making a change. Yeah, she's putting that putter back in the bag. Now let's see what she takes out. Oh, wow. looks like she's pulling out a 15. I don't know. It looks like she's going with a 30. Strong choice. 
She's going to want to use the recommended SPF 30 even on a cloudy day. And notice how she's using broad spectrum sunscreen. And a generous amount too. Incredible. That was a masterful performance. That was pretty good too. Stand up to cancer and Optum want to help you reduce your risk for cancer. Visit TakeAHealthyStand.org. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. As always, give me a call if you have questions. 360-733-1200. Well, this year we are entering our 20th year as we were a uh, charter member, I guess, of the Ed Slot Master Elite Group. And uh, so we're entering our 20th year. Just as a little point of information, twice a year I make a trip somewhere. I know in May, I'll be going <clears throat> back to Indianapolis for two days. Doesn't seem like you could spend that much time every twice a year keeping up with all the IRA rulings and everything that's going on, but it's one of the things that we committed to, so we're in our 20th year of doing that. And um, they put out a lot of interesting bulletins. You can actually go to uh, www.irahelp.com. That's www.irahelp.com. That's their website, basically uh, helping match up consumers with uh, financially educated uh, advisors, um, but put out a bulletin here talking about avoiding 60-day rollover mistakes and five easy steps. And basically, what is a 60-day rollover? Well, a 60-day rollover is the distribution of funds from a qualified retirement account payable to the account owner who has 60 days to redeposit those funds into another qualified retirement account. So you can take money, for example, from one IRA uh, can take it out of a retirement plan. One of the things you need to do there, though, is if you take it out of a retirement account, there's a 20% mandatory withholding. I'll talk about that for a minute. But there's things you may want to do. There's five steps here. One is do a trustee-to-trustee transfer instead. The best way to avoid making a 60-day rollover mistake is to avoid the 60-day rollovers altogether. Transfer your funds directly to another retirement account. Not only does a direct transfer avoid any 60-day time problems, but, it's all, but if the rollover is coming from a 401k or other qualified plans, it also avoids that mandatory 20% withholding requirement. So what we just said there is that if you've got money in a retirement plan, you have them distribute that money to you, and then you decide you want to roll it over, you've got 60 days to do it. But if it comes out of a 401k, a simple or whatever, they are required to withhold 20% of that money. That means you have to have the cash to make up that 20% withholding. Whereas if you do a direct rollover to another plan, they do not have that 20% holding. Number two, uh, avoiding uh, easy steps, is to make your checks payable to the new IRA custodians. Sometimes the only way a custodian will distribute an IRA or other retirement account money is in the form of a check. There's a special rule that allows a distribution by check to qualify as a direct rollover and avoid the 60-day rule. When that check is made payable to the new IRA, for example, your IRA may receive, may read custodian, in our case, LPL Financial, uh, for the benefit of you, your name, John Doe IRA. And so if we have that check made out by the distribution uh, in, institution, make it out to LPL Financial for your benefit, then we avoid that 60-day rollover problem. You can also keep track of when you receive your distribution. Few people know when that 60-day clock actually begins. Well, it starts when you receive the distributions. A few days between when the check is issued and when you actually receive it can make all the difference in the world. And number four, check to make sure the funds were deposited into the correct account. A common mistake occurs when funds are accidentally deposited into a non-retirement account. Once you've deposited the funds or sent them to your financial institution, Take five minutes out of your day to make sure that it arrived at the intended destination. If a mistake is discovered within 60 days, it can be corrected. I've seen that one happen quite a few times where money's gone into an institution and they've just put it into a regular account instead of in an IRA. And that sometimes can cause some problems like paying taxes, sometimes that 10% penalty. And then the fifth step here is to be aware of the once-a-year IRA rollover rule. 
you're limited to the number of 60-day rollovers that you can make in a 365-day period. Now, that's not once a year. That's 365 days. So if you did a rollover in January 13th of last year, you cannot do another 60-day rollover until after January 13th of this year, which would be, of course, would be today. So the once-a-year rollover rule applies only to 60-day rollovers from IRA to IRA or from Roth to Roth. Under the rule, once rule uh, funds have been rolled over on a 60-day rollover, there are no other 60-day rollovers that can be done by the account over within the next 365 days. For this rule, IRA and Roth IRAs are counted together. So you have to you you have one 365-day rollover that you can do once a year. Keep that in the back of your mind. So if you have multiple IRAs and you go to one institution, say write me a check, and then you think you can go to the next one. You can't do that. There's where you have to make the check out to the new institution. Very important to keep in mind. Well, we're in a new year, so let's talk about five investment resolutions that you need to make. You know, New Year's resolutions are a ritual for many people. The spirit of the season, investors should consider making them and sticking to some in 24's New Year's investment resolutions that can lead to a healthier investment life. Going to give you five resolutions that may reduce your stress and improve your investment performance. Number one, go on a media diet. Investors have access to a wide variety of market news and analysis, providing information that can be helpful in managing their investment portfolios. However, just as it is possible to eat too much in a holiday dinner, many investors consume too much market news. The activity bias is a common behavioral pattern among investors who closely follow the day-to-day or minute-to-minute activity in the market. Many investors would benefit from taking a healthier balance between being well-informed and being overly stimulated by market news. Number two, spend less time in echo chambers. Confirmation bias is a tendency to seek evidence that supports pre-existing beliefs or to interpret information in a way that supports an existing position. Although it can be comforting to talk to people who agree with your point of view, avoiding contrary viewpoints is one of the biggest mistakes an investor can make. Escaping the echo chamber to consciously seek contrary points of view is a necessary step in testing an investment idea and an important and perhaps uncontrollable resolution for 2024. Number three, rebalance your portfolio. The new year is a logical time to consider rebalancing your portfolios to take profits in recent winners that may not be able to sustain their success while adding to investments that recently struggled but but have favorable prospects. In 2023, we had a small number of stocks that have surged while much of the market has stagnated or declined. Again, we refer to some cases that to the Magnificent Seven, which comprise about 30% of the S&P 500. Those seven stocks were responsible for almost all of the gain in last year's S&P 500. We've seen some stocks and segments of the market that were left behind in 2023 that may be viable future investments that recent laggards have often, are often tomorrow's leaders. Some investments can seem cheap today and can get a lot cheaper, so investors should do their homework before trading. We're in the process of doing that right now. We're going through every position that we have in our portfolios, and we're in the process of building out new models and reallocating our portfolios. So we're going to be making substantial changes uh, in our existing client accounts. Number four, you need to ask the right questions. Investment discussions in January are dominated by forecasts for the coming year. The most common question is, what do you expect the market to do? Although the natural impulse is to focus on a one-year outlook, for most investors, the focus on a relatively short-term horizon is counterproductive. Investors should start the year with a budget and investment allocation that makes in consideration known cash needs and emergency reserve for unexpected cash needs. Beyond those near-term cash needs, the remainder of the portfolio should be invested in alignment with long-term financial and personal goals. The right questions to ask integrate integrate investments with financial planning objectives focusing on long-term goals. Realistically, once cash needs are taken care of, most investors have time horizons measured in years, not in decades. The unreliable crystal ball for investment performance over one-year periods becomes less reliable over longer periods, making investment planning a less stressful exercise. And number five, read a book. 
final suggestion resolution to start the year, read a book. There are several books that provide sound advice about how to be more self-aware and become a more effective investor. And once you've made your resolutions, staying on track with them is easier said than done. The likelihood of staying on track is high for people who make themselves accountable for their resolutions, so it may be helpful to put your resolutions in writing and keep them in a visible place as a constant reminder. This has been Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here on KGMI. As always, we thank you for being with us. Don't forget our show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. We'll cover the economic data that came out this week along with some other ideas and tips. In fact, one of them we'll be, we're going to be talking about is um, um, three tips that um, are t- that you may want to take a look at if you're if you're subject to receiving an inheritance. So uh, got some ideas and some stuff we're working on for tomorrow's show. Thanks for listening. Give us a call, 360-733-1200, and have a great week. on the show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.